0: How be back. You're watching, my fellow Americans, with your host, Spike
1: Cohen. Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. A beautiful audience. Yes, keep clapping. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I can see each and every one of you. It's so beautiful. Thank you again. Thank you. Keep clapping. Thank you so much. Welcome to My Fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. What a blessing it is for you to join me, a mitzvah, to join me and my guests tonight. uh, Wednesday the 28th, it is. Uh, Thank you again for joining. This is, as always, a Muddied Waters Media production. Uh, Check us out on Facebook. Check us out on YouTube, on SoundCloud, or on Instagram. Slide in our DMs. I have nothing to do with our DMs. I'm not 100% certain what DMs are, but slide in there. We have a DM sliding person, uh, so check us out there. Uh, Check us out on muddiedwatersoffreedom.com. Be sure to share this video so that you and your friends can uh, be a part of the joy and merriment of this show. Um, What else? Let's see what else is going on here. Um, Oh, as always, thank you, Kroger, for the delicious drinking water purified drinking water that I drink on this and and many episodes not every episode but many episodes of my fellow Americans that is delicious Kroger water the intro and outro music as always is brought to you uh, by the uh, amazing and talented Mr. Joe Davi that's J-O-D-A-V-I check him out on Facebook and on Bandcamp he's on SoundCloud too but check him out on Bandcamp buy all of his music very very talented guy Mr. Joe Davi Um, This episode is also brought to you by the 2019 Libertarian Dad Bod Calendar, brought to you by the South Carolina Libertarian Party. Um, I have a link to that in the show notes, so be sure to buy one of those so that you can support libertarianism and dad bods at the same time. How often do you get a chance to do that? I've brought that chance to you, and, and you're welcome. And, uh, and I'll be getting one as well. So be sure to check that out. As always, shout out to Tehran Turks, mom and him. Guys, I am super excited about my guest tonight. Unlike some of my other guests that, I mean, you know, whatever, if they come, that's fine. Uh, he is the, uh, he's a trainer for the Growing Army of Liberty. He is the director of content for the Americans for Prosperity Foundation's Grassroot Leadership Academy. His job is to travel the country teaching activists how to be effective advocates for liberty in their communities Um, He is also known as the man who successfully toppled a city government. We're definitely going to be talking about that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, the destroyer of municipalities, Mr. Dwayne Lester. Dwayne, thank you so Uh, much for
0: joining. My pleasure. I think you may give me too much credit for destroyer of municipalities,
1: but it is a title I will claim. Well, we're going to talk more about that, and uh, this show is all about claiming titles that don't necessarily belong to you, so uh, we're we're keeping in that tradition. Um, Guys, uh, for those with any uh, questions or thoughts, be sure to comment them either on our Facebook or YouTube videos, and Dwayne and I will let you know if you're right or wrong, so that's always good. Um, Dwayne, you are a tireless advocate for freedom. Uh, It seems like every few days you're flying somewhere else to do your work. I, I presume that you get your fearlessness and tirelessness from being a father of eight. Am I correct? In that, that? That's
0: that's very true. Honestly, um, people ask people ask me, why do you do what you do? Um, and and let's be honest. When 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 I'm asked, what is your why? And that's what we, we talk a lot about is what's your why? Right. But what is your why? And I say, you know, I have I've have eight kids. And I never in in my life ever want to hear one of my children or one of my grandchildren cry because they are hungry and I'm unable to do something about it Right? ever in my life. Do I ever want to have that experience? But because we live in America, one of the freest countries, one of the the freest markets in the world that they've ever seen, we have an abundance of food, but that is threatened by central planning. And we see this in Venezuela, which was at one point a very rich country. And now, uh, you know, they're starving. I don't want that. So, it was, yeah,
1: but the, They were the breadbasket of Latin America at one point, right?
0: Yeah, yes. same yeah. with Zimbabwe. Yep. So that, you're absolutely right. That is, my, that is why. Because I have eight kids, and they are very, very important.
1: And I never want to hear them cry in hunger. Well, good, good. Yeah, and I, I definitely don't want that uh, for you as well. Um, something I ask my guests whenever they come on, uh, is how they would describe their belief system. Uh, you know, I mean, there's all these different labels out there, um, whether you ascribe to a label or not, you know, how, how how you would define it and and how you would say you got to the beliefs that you have today. Was it sort of an aha moment or sort of a, a natural evolution or progression at some point, you know, tell me about that.
0: Right. You know, for a long time, I called myself a conservatarian. Um, I, I, and then I would say I was more full fledged libertarian. Okay. Um, in fact, uh, a great—I uh, love telling this story. Um, if you don't mind, I was in—I sure. uh, was doing a training, and <clears throat> we were talking about libertarian principles, uh, well, just principles of, of liberty. And I took a took what was considered a very extreme position, just for the sake of the discussion. I said, "Well, what if, what if this happened?" And it was, you know, government completely removed from his situation. Well, government completely removed from education. I said, what if tomorrow the governor came out and said, there's no more money for public education whatsoever. Right. Um, we're shutting down all public funds. It's all going to be privately run. What would the other institutions of society do? And I, I, we had this conversation. And afterwards, this, this uh, member of the audience who was very vocal, we, we went back and forth for a while. Uh, She came up to me after the class and she said, you're just you're the most libertarian person I've ever met. You're like 100 percent libertarian. And you're making me think. (laughs) Are you? I said, honey, you say the sweetest (laughs) thanks. And and we we talked a while after that. But, you know, I I would consider myself more libertarian than than uh, conservatarian or conservative anymore, because I, I I just I tend to look at the situation and say, government shouldn't be doing that it's right simple government has you know a very explicit role uh it is there to secure and defend rights and if it's doing anything other than that then then it should not be doing that
1: right right so and how would you say like it, well it, so it sounds like there was sort of a progression from what you call conservatarianism to you know i guess minarchism or something like that yeah. would you yeah. say that that it was sort of like it took you realizing that's what you always thought, or was it a series of events that sort of led to you to that? Or what would you say?
0: Right. I'll walk you through that. It was about, it was about uh, well, it was September 11th, 2001. Um, I was, I went to school that morning. I was English. Um drove to school, sat in the back of this class, I was I was getting a degree in commercial horticulture, I sat in the back of this class on soils, uh, because I could rest my head on this table that was behind me, because it was a class on dirt, you're going to fall asleep in this class. Um, and I did. The director of the program <laughs> came in the class and said, I need to let you all know something. Um, this morning, our our country was attacked, and kind of explained what happened. Right, And I went through the rest of that morning in this state of confusion, because at that point in my life, I had not paid attention to politics whatsoever. Uh, mm. I had no idea what was going on. I got home that afternoon, and uh, my wife was there. We'd, we'd been married um, well, well, about a year, over over a year, a year and some change. And uh, our four-month-old daughter was on the floor. And I remember walking in and, and looking at my daughter laying there and looking at my wife. And I looked at my wife, and I said, it was a, it was a really scary day, wasn't it? And she just looked at me and said, yeah, I was. And I went to work that night, and I didn't, again, I didn't really know what was going on. But I was working at 11 o'clock at night to 7 in the morning, going to college from 7 in the morning to 2 in the afternoon, and then going home and watching my daughter from 3 in the afternoon until I went to work that night. Right. And uh, I watched my, you know, I slept when my daughter slept. But that night I got to work. We got there about 11. I turned on the radio to listen to the news because, I, again, I wanted to know what was going on. On the radio came this guy named Michael Reagan. I didn't know Michael Reagan, you know, who he was. I was just listening. And the more I listened, the more I sat there and said, you know, I, I agree with that. And I agree with that. And about two and a half hours into it, I said, am I, am I what they call a conservative? I I don't know. I had right. no idea. I, could tell you. I couldn't tell you the difference between the left wing, the right wing and a chicken wing. Oh, wow. But I wanted to learn. Uh, so I started picking up books anywhere I could find books and reading everything I can read. And. I was blessed at that time to have a job where um, all I had to do was keep people from leaving the floor that I was on. Um, I was working at a residential treatment facility, and all I had to do on the overnight was keep people from walking out of work. And when you're six foot four and you sit next to the door, it's a pretty easy job. That takes care of job. itself, right, right. Yeah. It does. <laughs> and so I had about eight hours a night to read, and I read all the time. I read I, I didn't even know what to read at that time. I remember uh, I was I was getting my political advice at that time from a guy named ManCal Muller. I don't know if you've ever listened to his radio yes. show. Yeah, it's
1: been a while, but yeah, I know who you're talking about, yeah. So,
0: so he had this guy on uh, named Jim Mars, and he was interviewing Jim. And he's like, go oh, read Jim's book. It's fantastic. And I said, I will. So, so I went to the library, and I, I picked up his book, and I'm reading it. And I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah, the Rothschilds, right. Uh-huh. Now, wait a second. Why are we talking about crystal alien skulls now um so you know at that point i didn't even know what to read so i was like okay get rid of that <laughs> so, you know other books um eventually uh i got my degree in commercial horticulture uh took a job you know uh, the next logical step and became an armed nuclear security officer which makes sense there was of course, a method yeah. to my meds. right
1: it's a form of horticulture. No. yeah
0: yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I found myself in another job where I basically had all day to read, and that's what I did. I read. In 2006, uh, I made a goal of reading 100 books in a year, 100 books. And in early December, um, I finished that goal and set another goal to never do anything that stupid again, because that is uh, just a ridiculous amount of books. That's a lot Um, of books,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, but best book I read that I remember was Larry Elder's 10 Things You Can't Say in America. Hmm. And that's when I started – recognizing that I had more libertarian beliefs than I did conservative beliefs. And so I started reading more and more and more, just anything i get my hands on. Right. Uh, to the point where you've seen, you've seen my Facebook page now, and I'm always bringing more and more books. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got everything on my bookshelf from, uh, from Howard Zinn to Thomas Sowell to, you know, uh, everything in between, everything right. in between. I want to, I want to know. And I found myself more recently um, finding myself more libertarian than I was conservative. And I look back on what I had before when I was first getting into this, uh, like in 2003, 2004, mm-hmm. uh, saying things like, well, look, if you're not doing anything wrong, you don't have anything to worry about. You have about. nothing to worry about. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, I look back on that and... Uh, you know a, a little bit uh, embarrassed at my ignorance and what that allowed me to do
1: right right that's funny yeah it's it sounds similar to to my uh evolution i guess you could call it 911 happened instant neocon. we had to stop the terrorists and spread freedom so that they'd love us and see you know uh, how how wonderful they were when ron paul came on the scene in 08 doing his whole thing i was like this guy's an idiot he hates America. He has no idea what he's talking about. He wants the terrorists to win, and then watching the next few years of events, I am like, oh, "Yeah, he was right." And that really kind of pushed me. Uh, that realization, and then like sort of like with you reading more and more, I found I was reading more and more libertarian stuff. And and in the last two years, or last I guess maybe three or four years, reading like more and more like hardcore libertarian. Lysander Spooner type stuff um, has mm-hmm. really yeah, I just I'd find myself more like I'm pretty much as I, I think I'm as far over as I can get at this point because uh, you know I'm, I'm I'm an anarchist but uh, I, if there is further to go then I'll, I'll probably reach that in the next uh, mm-hmm. the next few months now you so you actually had a prolific history as a, a blogger you I think you described yourself as a recovering blogger um, I, I've called you, myself a, yeah yes. you would um, blogger. A podcaster
0: blogger I've, I've, if you can do it on social uh, webs if you can do it on the internet i've tried to
1: do it i think yeah you so you were the first uh, breitbart blogger award recipient uh, or the recipient of the first ever uh breitbart breitbart blogger award in 2012 you founded the missouri torch um mm-hmm. what got you into that and i guess also what got you out of that because i'm doing podcasting now and i'm thinking oh maybe i'm about to hit something that makes me not want to do it anymore
0: no, w- what got me into that was it was it was after I was uh, I was actually working at the nuke plant at that time. It was around 2006, 2007. I was, of course, I, I, I had read like six books, so I knew everything there was. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so I started saying, you know, other people out there deserve to hear my wisdom. And so I started writing on this website called Newsvine. Uh, my friend Andrew Riley introduced me to this website called Newsvine. Okay. Uh, Newsvine, when it started, was actually a really good site because they had rules for their their comment sections, and they enforced them. So there was there were no personal attacks allowed. You had to actually make rational, lucid uh, arguments. You right. couldn't you couldn't be the the typical. Internet, uh, YouTube comment section. <laughs> and um, so what I found, uh, but it was also very left of center. Okay. There, there was a conservative, at that point, a conservative population there, but by and large, it was left of center. And I found that the more I wrote there, the better I got because I could not, I was not allowed to just say, hey, here's a, a, an unfounded conservative opinion you should all appreciate. It would start destroying it. Right, and, and I actually had to learn to back my opinions up. I had to, I had, to, I couldn't just state a premise. I had to state a premise and then back my premise up. Uh, so I, I, I thank the, my leftist friends online for making me a better writer and a better blogger. But I was writing so much on Newsvine that my friend Andrew said you should just start your own website. It's really not that hard. We could do it together. Hmm. He said you could write content and I could be the the tech because he's very good at coding. I mean, this guy, uh, when he puts together a, a website, he's fantastic at it. He, he told me one time, uh, I said, well, can we do that? he says, it's not, can we, it's, you know, why don't we? Right. And he could code to do it. So we started a website uh, in 2007 called all American blogger. Um, that went until 20. 20- 2014, but in 2012, actually, that, that's when the Franklin Center and the, and the Heritage Foundation gave me their first Breitbart Blogger Award, right. and that's that's a, a different story that I'm not going to get into. But it was it was an unexpected honor, and at that time, that was right after Breitbart had just died.
1: Oh and, wow. uh,
0: Okay. So that was the very the very first one. So that was a, a great honor. Uh, 2014, I started looking around the state of, of Missouri, realized there was no one writing about Missouri state politics. And so I started the uh, the Missouri Torch. Did that for a few years, and then actually uh, decided to to uh, start doing it for money. One thing everybody would always say to me: "How do you make money blogging?" You know, you, you introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm I'm a blogger. Well, how do you make money blogging? Right. I'd say when I figure that out, you know, because right. uh, it's it's tough. It's but I, like I the, the
1: underpants that. gnome, you know, blog question mark profit right. Right. Exactly. Yep, that is, yep. that is exactly, yeah, we can do this. Everybody's doing it. It's got to be,
0: uh, no, right, right. No. Um, so I, I went from doing the Missouri torch to working for a def- couple of, uh, a different outfits, making money where I could. Um, and then as I was, as I was writing, uh, I took the opportunity to go out to Colorado and go through the leadership program of the Rockies. Fantastic, fantastic nine month program. As, as broke as we were at that time, I was still finding a way to get from, from Tarkio Missouri, to Denver, Colorado, once a month for this program. After that program, I actually went to uh, a GLA class in, in Kansas City. And as I'm sitting there, I thought I could, I could maybe do this. And I, I applied right there in the class. Uh, interviewed later, did not get the job. Uh, kept at it. They opened it up again, applied again. Uh, got the job and walked away from the uh, the social media blogging world.
1: Very good stuff. So it wasn't
0: a matter of saying, oh, I can't, this is horrible.
1: It was a matter of saying it's it's time to move on to the next step. Move stage. on to the next step. Now, I leaned on it heavily in your intro, and if you can't tell, I'm really excited to talk about it. Before we get into uh, Grassroots Leadership Academy or really anything else, I would like to talk about your role in upending and destroying the Leviathan that was the Quitman, Missouri city council. Um, uh, talk to me about how that came about and, and don't shy away from hyperbole because I'm definitely not going to.
0: Okay. Um, so I lived in a town called Quitman, Missouri. It had at its height while we lived there, maybe 40 people, maybe <laughs> uh, eight of them lived in my house.
1: so wait so that was 40 people including your household
0: yeah yeah that's I mean 40 people eight of them in my house and we had a city council of six so there's six people in a town of 40 that are making all the decisions so you know you can do the math that's one for every six at at the time I got on there I think there were about 30 people there because some of them had moved some of them had died uh, so it, the town was dwindling down. Right. Uh, one of my neighbors comes over to me and says, uh, introduces himself, because I did not introduce myself to my neighbors. Uh, I was quite happy being on the edge of town, uh, away from the closest building to our property was the Mennonite Church, and I was good with that.
1: Right. They overintroduced
0: themselves, explained it, that they needed someone to run for the city council, because there were some people on the city council that were getting in everybody's business and and they were trying to, uh, they were just bossing people around and man, you could not have hit my trigger harder. Right. (laughs) Right. We have a president in this town of 30 people. We need you to stop it. And of course I put on my cape.
1: The tyranny of, of the city council. Right. Right.
0: Right. Uh, And so I put my name in and uh, I'm happy to say that in my first election, I got the vote of Every registered voter who could have voted for me.
1: the Saddam 15 Hussein people,
0: election. All 15 people in that town who were registered to vote, voted for me.
1: Nice. So um,
0: we, we went in and I, I, I show up the first meeting and I see what's going on. And this, there's one of one of the people on the city council uh, says, you know, we've, we've got to start. We've got to start finding these people in this town who are letting their dogs run loose. I thought, you know, I moved to this town so I could let my dog run loose. Right. Uh, We've got five acres of land. There's nobody around me. Right, right, right. Uh, So I looked at her and I said, well, can you show me in our city ordinances where we can do that? And she says, well, it's right in there. I said, okay, show me. We're in city hall at this time. Right. Uh, well, I said, I said, well, fine. Show me. Well, we don't have the city ordinances right here. In City Hall. We're in we're in City Hall. Where Where are they? Well, they're just they're not here. I said, well, I said, if if we can, if we have the power to do that, then let's talk about that. But you have to show me in the ordinances where we actually have the, the power to do that. Right. And she says, well, it's in, it's in the state. It's in the state uh, books, too. We can do that. I said, well, show me. So she pulls this book out and she throws the book on the table and says, it's right there. I look at the book and, and uh, say, this says that we can, we can uh, charge people a dollar for a license. It says nothing about finding people for letting their dogs run. Right.
1: So
0: that was, that was my introduction to the city council. It was downhill from there. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, we had, we had an another, another election, uh not long after it was i don't know it was maybe a year after that i think um uh, two two of the people who were the biggest troublemakers uh on the city council one was voted off okay. there were two two new people coming on um and i went to the the city council meeting after that uh this this person who was who is my you know the biggest thorn in the side uh <laughs> she she was voted off and she says, "She's the treasurer she says here's here's the the uh, balance of the city's bank accounts. So I went ahead and closed their bank accounts. I was, why why'd you do that? Well, we have to. We have to do that. So hands me these checks for tens of thousands of dollars. And the person sitting next to her, who was best friends with her, says, "Well, uh, I'm resigning." I said, okay, you're out and you quit." And she they said, "Yes." And then they turned to the two new people coming on the board, and they said, by the way, you two are ineligible to be on the board because you haven't paid your city taxes. Um, <laughs> so I turn over here, and I look, and I say, so you two are off. You two can't be on. You two are out. And I look across the table at the only other person left on this this board, and she looks at me. She was, she was in her 70s at that time. <laughs> she looks at me, and she says, Dwayne, if I have to do anything, I quit. I said, okay, meeting's over. Let's, uh, everyone go home, get out of city hall.
1: So you were at that point where the sole member of the city council
0: then? Yeah. yeah. I looked at him and I said, so basically what you're saying is I'm chair, I'm treasurer, I'm clerk, I'm <laughs> mayor, I'm grand poobah of this entire town. And I said, yes. I said, okay, meeting's adjourned, time to go home.
1: <laughs> and I second
0: <laughs> it too. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, and I closed that, um, next meeting we have uh, i think it was two or three weeks later they show up again Uh, again it's just me and this other person and they show up again the lady who was the treasurer starts demanding to see where the budget is i say i don't what are you talking about she says well you were supposed to have a budget done last week so Mm -hmm. where's your budget i said you were the treasurer up until last week why don't we have a budget she said that's not my job now but the state state order you know state Statute say you're supposed to have a budget. Where's it at? Right. So it was that contentious the whole time Okay. until finally uh, I went to our, our county commission had a hearing. Uh, and what's funny about that is I showed up and they actually closed the committee, the hearing down because somebody showed up. So I sat down and uh, they all looked at each other and they said, uh, we need to go into recess and they came over <laughs> and said, "What? what do you need? What are you doing here? And they were just stunned that somebody showed up, I think, to the county commission hearing. And I said, I need somebody to come out to Quitman and explain to these folks what's going to happen if we disincorporate the town, if we just do away with the government completely. Right. And they said, well, we can come out and do that. When's the next meeting? Told them when the next meeting was. I went to every house in town, um, told them there was a meeting coming up, told them that the county commissioner was going to be there. Told them what the purpose of the meeting was to talk about doing away with the city, the city government. So the day comes, the city hall's filled. Everybody in town's there. All 30 people. All, all 30 people. And <laughs> so we start getting into this, and we go for about an hour with the, the county uh, commissioner explaining what's going to happen. If the town disincorporates, then all the city roads in town will be turned over to the county. Now, all the roads in town are already gravel. There wasn't a paved road in this entire town. Okay. And so, basically, what that means is the county's going to gravel all the roads. The gra- county's going to maintain all the roads. We don't need. We didn't even have a city road department anyway. Um, right. So, so that was, you know, people just learning that. Nothing's really changed except the county's going to be doing everything. Right. And right, right. Uh, I remember one of them said, "Well, what about streetlights?" And the county commissioner said, "Well, you'll have a you'll have the opportunity to pay for a safety light on your property if you want." And I said, "I pay for a safety light. I'll pay for the street light and the safety light." Right. And I said, "Well, I don't want to have to pay for my own light." And I said, "Who do you think's paying for it now?" Right. It's, you're paying for it now. It's right, just coming right, right. out of taxes. Where You're paying for it. Um, so there was bickering. People didn't want to uh, give the, the government. I remember one of them looked at me and said, why do you want to get rid of this, this board anyway? And I said, because I don't want to have to deal with this board anymore. Right. They looked at me like I was crazy. They said, well, you don't have to stay on the board if you don't like it, Lester. And I said, you're not hearing me. Whether I'm on the board or off the board, I'll still have to deal with this board. Right. And there's not a person in this room who has any business having any authority over anyone else in this room because none of us know what we're doing. And they looked at me like like I I had just called them the worst name in the book. Just, right. Right. I, right. I, I cannot believe you said that. Right. And I said, tell you what um let's let's adjourn let's let's let the county commissioner go and then we can talk about this some more so the county commissioner goes outside it's hot in there everybody starts going outside this older woman who uh who was on the board with me the one who looked at me and said if i have to do anything i quit right uh she was she was angry with one of the one of the people who used to be on the board and uh they went outside this older lady stands up and she's got a metal cane at that time. You know, the kind of metal cane that comes down. It's got four legs on the bottom.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And she is hustling. I mean, she is moving for the door. And I said, where are you going? And she turns and looks at me. And she goes, I'm going to go out there and and kill her. And I said, you're going to go to jail. And she said, I don't care. And I said, meetings adjourned. Everybody go home. And that was the last meeting that I held in that town. And about... Eight months later, somebody knocked on my door with a petition to do away with the city government, which I signed. And uh, there is no government in that town anymore.
1: I tried looking up it just the to, to, um, to prepare it, like to research this a bit more. There's no information on Quitman except a, a, a Wikipedia article that says that it's a small, formerly incorporated, unincorporated part of, uh, I forget the county in, in Missouri. And yeah. Um,
0: no.
1: yeah. Right. And um and uh and then there was an article from twenty fourteen it from a few years ago, uh from when it saying that it it was uh you know that it would it had been, you know, uh uh deincorporated and uh, right. that article was so viral uh, that apparently there's a 404 error if you try to go to it now. So, <laughs> uh, so the, the 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 history. You not only wiped out the city, you wiped out any history of the city, and uh, or you were you were a part of that. I, I when you first told me about this, I thought it was hilarious. Where I live, uh, we have 72 owners and an HOA, and I think that's ridiculous. That you know, 72 owners and an HOA. Why do we why do we need one with that few? Thirty people with a city council of six, I think that's hilarious. But the thing is, you know, we talk a lot about the, you know, the federal government and the oppression and tyranny that comes from the federal government and the mismanagement and all of that stuff. And, and then some of us will talk about it, you know, the state level things that are happening and those are all valid things, but so much of the tyranny that happens on a day-to-day basis is at the municipal level. It's at the city and, and, and county level. Oh
0: yeah, you're absolutely right. You, you, uh, you have some folks with just a little bit of power and and they just go nuts with it. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and there's absolutely no, there's there's no, almost no governor on that. Uh, I, we had, I've, I've been renovating this house that I live in for what seems like forever um, because we refuse to go into debt to renovate this house. So we, whenever we get a little bit of money, we do what we can with it. And right. as we're renovating, Believe it or not, when you when you do demolition in a house, there's rubble, uh, which tends to pile up at times. Right. And so there was stuff in our yard occasionally uh, for two years straight. And um, we'd have this person who would walk past our house and they were on the city council. And I remember I had the the chief of police call me one day and say, Dwayne, can you uh, can you come down to City Hall? I need to talk to you. Right. And I said. That is never good. Um, (laughs) So I went down there and they explained to me that they needed to give me a letter to show that uh, to deliver a letter from the city council saying I needed to clean up my yard. And that angered me because my first thought is uh, who complained about it? Not one of my neighbors has complained about this. Right. Uh, What role, why does the government have a role in? and using force to tell me to clean up my yard. That's not at all the proper role of government. Right. And so they turned the super libertarian man at that point. And so I, I showed up to the city council meeting and they, uh, asked if there was anybody who wanted to make a comment. And so I stood up at that point and gave this big long speech explaining how, I went, I I mean, in this speech, I I noted uh, Bastiat. I I quoted the (laughs) law. Uh, This this is another town of 1,500 people. And I'm there going, furthermore, French economist, Frédéric Bastiat wrote in the law. And they're like, who, what? Uh, But what was funny before that, I was, as I was walking, because city hall is only a few blocks from my house. As I'm walking towards city hall, uh, the mayor is standing outside. I worked with the mayor at the nuke plant. We were friends. And he stood there and he's laughing. He goes, I've been waiting for you to show up. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I went off on this rant and I remember closing my speech by saying, And in the unlikely time, in the, in the, on the unlikely day that I actually violate my neighbor's rights, and tell that day, leave me alone. And so, um, we haven't had too much problem with the city council after that. (laughs) Um, That person was voted off uh, and then later voted back on. Uh, But but what I also learned was that person also was in violation of city ordinances because their house needed painted. And again, I was like, I don't even care if your house needs painted. Right,
1: right, right, Uh, right. it's, It's
0: hypocritical, but you're right. It is, it is those small tyrannies that, that, people take for granted. They, they, yeah. they just assume that's the way it is. They, that, yeah. Of course you,
1: you, you mow your yard. You know, I mean, what if, what if government didn't tell you to mow your, nobody'd mow their yard. No one would mow their um, yard. Everyone's house would be filled with debris. And again, just to, just for, for those of who may have just tuned in, your house is on five acres. So this isn't like, you know, your rubble is going to, you know, go into your neighbor's, uh, you know, into your neighbor's yard or something like that. You are, you, you know, you are well past anything well, touching anyone else. Well, this is this is this is actually in a, in a different town. We, oh, okay, we moved okay, to, okay. to a different town, but
0: again, not one of my neighbors complained. Right. Not one, I, I just said, I said, whose rights am I violated? Who who has complained? I said, you know, I've had more people from the city show up to to complain about stuff than I have people from the entire town right. welcome me to this town that's that's a problem talk about the fact that that oh well community is just not what it used to be anymore well that's because government's not what it used to be yeah when government was limited community could thrive but now we we don't recognize these nanny state everybody thinks about nanny state laws as being something like michael bloomberg in new york telling you 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 can't get a large cup but a nanny state law is a city ordinance that tells you how high your grass can be because that's somebody saying I don't want to have to go talk to my neighbor. I want, I want a letter from the city council. I want guns pointed at this person telling right. them they
1: have to mow their lawn because I'm uncomfortable talking to my neighbor. Right. That's to, a name. Right. I want to use violence by proxy over things that aren't really that big of a deal rather than just go over to my neighbor and talk to them about it. hmm So, so well, good. So, well, you've, you know, one municipality, municipality down however many thousands to go. But, um, <laughs> So now you'll just with- go across Missouri like it like a, a wave of of municipality destroying locusts. Yeah, yeah exactly. Every 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 uh, city you land in, they go, "Oh, here he comes! It's, we're next." Uh, so na- so now you're the uh, director of content for the uh, Grassroots Leadership Academy, which is part of the Americans for Prosperity Foundation. Uh, talk to me about what they do, and I guess more what you do as part of uh, a member of the GLA. Well, GLA is, like you said, part of
0: Americans Prosperity Foundation. We're active in 36 different states, and we host all kinds of trainings focusing on, on everything from understanding uh, the importance of, of key institutions in society, understanding that government, what government's role is, and how other key institutions, such as education or business or community, the roles they should play in their proper role, and how they're being... Uh, how they're being inhibited from exercising those because government has just has grown to the point where those institutions have atrophied. We we right. talk about that. We we teach people how to how to actually organize in their communities, how to how to start making a change. We teach people the power of economic freedom, what freedom looks like, how to how to be a better advocate for it how to uh, recognize when you when you see external barriers that are keeping people from from reaching their full potential, how to Mm -hmm. recognize them. But not only that, but how to address them and how to break through them, Um, how to how to address internal barriers that keep people from from reaching their full potential. One, for example, there's a common internal barrier uh, that I I see uh, on every side, uh, that this idea that if government doesn't do it, it won't be done. Right, and again, that's something that that Bastiat talked about too. Bastiat talked about the socialist. He said the socialist thinks if we don't want government to do it, then we don't want it done. And we don't want or it, or we done, think but... it shouldn't be done at all. Yep, um, that's not that's not what what the belief is. The belief is government has a role, and these other key institutions can pick up these these uh this the slack. And and uh, Tocqueville talked about that when he talked about the fact that where you'd see a a, uh, a French ruler or, or or English lord doing things, you see Americans forming associations. That's how things used to get done. Right. Uh, we talked a lot about that. But mainly we, the short version is when I'm at church, uh, people say, what do you do? I, I say, I get to go all over the country and make friends and teach them to fight for freedom, whatever that looks like.
1: Very good. Very good. So, you actually so you travel the country and I enjoy watching your, you know, your updates on where you're traveling to. And so you you travel the country and basically there are people that have signed up for these, I guess, workshops, classes. I'm not sure what they'd be called. And then and uh, for different types of certification. Uh, and then you you're going and, and kind of walking them through that. And, you know, how, what what is your typical role in doing that kind of stuff?
0: Well, there there are different kinds of presentations we give. We have what what are called certifications, which are which are six week courses. We have three different levels of, of certifications where we learn the very basics of grassroots organizing, from from recognizing the key institutions to how to take leadership roles, how to organize people, how to take people from being in a network to actually forming communities that can create change. And then we have what what are called uh, insight to actions which are more standalone presentations, which might be uh, something like, um, well, one of the more recent ones I, I've, I've given is one called American Trade, uh, Fantasy Island, or Treasure Island. Right. And just trying to understand uh, how trade brings prosperity to, to countries. Hmm. So these insight to actions are standalone on a specific topic that we can we can come in one evening, give this training, introduce people to Grassroots Leadership Academy, what we do, uh, and, and help them understand different topics or, or skills that can promote freedom in their area.
1: Cool, cool. So and so my, go-
0: be, my role would be I I, I come in, um, I work with the, the field director there to see what their needs are for that evening. Uh, the activists show up. I, I will train the activists in whatever, answer their questions, work with them uh, as late into the night as they want to stay. And then uh, go to the the hotel and uh, do it all again the next day. That's cool. And you're in Tampa right now, right? Right now we're in Tampa. We're actually revising our level two curriculum for next year.
1: Cool, cool. Yeah. So our uh, you're actually close to our uh, I guess flagship studio for Muddy Waters Media is in Saint Petersburg. So that's all cool. right. Yeah. So um, the who are typically the kind because I, I was trying to figure that out. Who are typically the kinds of people? who sign up to receive, to, you know, go through your, your different curriculums and, you know, what are the kinds, so like what would you say are the most commonly cited goals that they have in going into them? You know, we, we have a very uh, diverse group of people who come to our, to
0: our trainings and, and some people show up. Because they, they have a problem in their their neighborhood or their community, right. they want to learn the skills to do something. They're tired, ty- you know. The most one of the most common things I hear is, "I'm tired of yelling at the television. I want to do something." Right. Uh, so these folks that they, they will show up, they'll learn, and a lot of them apply. I've I've gone out and applied what we've done. Um, there are people. I think we've had eleven. I think it was eleven graduates of our program in New Hampshire are now in state legislature. Oh wow. Um, which is not much for New Hampshire. I mean that there's 435 people in their state legislature. I think if you were like the ninth caller you in the state legislature in New Hampshire. So,
1: it's like a slightly um, larger version of Quitman. It, yeah, it's it's
0: it's absurd in in New Hampshire. They have uh, literally 435 people in that small state. It's the largest state uh, government I believe in the country. Uh, but it, we, it, you it, know people People have gone through our program and, and used the skills we've taught to defeat uh, uh, income tax uh, levies. I, I believe in Steubenville, there was they defeat helped defeat a, an income tax. That was something they those folks organized on their own. Um, we, we've seen people take action all, all across the country using what we've taught to promote freedom and, and uh, lessen the growth of government.
1: That's awesome. Um, do you have... So people that, you know, uh, are are there, I'm trying to picture, you know, are there people that are, they sign up for your curriculum? Because you're giving sort of a, in many cases, a a more a broad based idea of freedom and how it works. And I would imagine you get people uh, that, you know, they sign up for the curriculum because there are specific things they want to fight and then they get in and for example, they hear, you know, about American trade and maybe they don't quite agree with that. Do you get a lot of people that they come in for one reason and end up kind of bucking against what the curriculum is or? You know, the, the I
0: won't say no. There are people who, who come in and they, they disagree with what we teach and that, that's fine. Yeah. I, I'm not going to, to say everybody has to just to think the same thing that's not what we're at we're not not out to create a hive mind by any means right Uh, but there are people who who occasionally will show up and and maybe they're not there to learn i don't know i'm not gonna uh, assume their motivations but yeah i mean it's just like any audience we we all we see everybody who gets who gets uh
1: hecklers or people like that it's fine so are they actually i mean you get like actual hecklers or just people that you could tell are maybe not feeling the the curriculum there,
0: there's, I've seen some folks who, who've come in, uh, in in a recent – it was interesting because we had some folks who who were more supporters of, of a protectionist trade policy in the same room with people who were uh, members of a, a very libertarian organization. And so it was interesting at times to just sit back and watch the, the conversation between those two groups um, – because what i find interesting about that and i actually appreciate that um there's a guy named dan bongino i don't know if you've ever heard mm-hmm. of him he's yeah. yeah he's i've met dan a couple of times and it was at a freedom works event he was telling a story about how he used to when he'd campaign he would he would talk to people on street corners and he said that he would engage with people who were who were wildly opposed to him and his position right and he said, we would get into these, these, they would get loud and I would just be articulating my position as calmly and as rationally as I could. He said, I knew that I would never get through to them. I knew that I would never be able to change their mind. But there were people in the crowd who were watching. Right. We could influence. And yep. it, it goes a lot to, it goes almost back to, to uh, my leftist friends online who helped me improve as a, as a, as a writer Because that gives me the opportunity to hear the oppositions to to our principles and to our our positions and our policies and be able to articulate rationally and calmly uh, our principles in a way that that people can hear and appreciate.
1: Right. Yeah. And 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 now now that you're sort of a full fledged libertarian, you can get it equally on the conservative side as well, or if not equally, then quite a bit.
0: Yeah, yeah, there, I am a, a, an equal opportunity uh, target of abuse.
1: Yes. Yeah, I, I find, so when I will post stuff or when I do these videos or whatever else, and um, and I talk about things, I like when I hit the sweet spot where both sides are mad at me at the exact, about this, you know, it's one thing if I have one opinion that, you know, the left gets mad at, and, and another opinion that the right gets mad at, but I like when I hit, have an opinion that both sides are equally angry at me for having, uh, but um yeah. Not not from a deal perspective,
0: but in my per capacity, I'm sure you've seen my Facebook posts. Yes, uh, where I'll simply pose a question. Yes, and then somewhere in the thread, I will be
1: called both a statist right. and an anarchist. Yes, yeah, a Nazi and a communist at the same time. Right, right. <laughs> That's awesome. So, I will assume that you get a lot of the you know quote unquote MAGA hat people. They come in. Maybe they support, you know, uh, fighting against a tax or a regulation or something like that. But they're not, uh, uh, you know, they're not going to support. At least not for now. They're not supporting. Free, they don't come in supporting, for example, free trade or or necessarily prison reform. Uh, although Trump now supports tr- prison reform, so I guess they do as well. But um, you know, there there are certain aspects where they, you know, they're they're much more uh, protectionist when it comes to immigration and trade and things like that. When you're dealing with people like that how much do you how much time would you say you spend trying to show them how their opposition to government in this sphere can also be applied to this sphere and how much do you just kind of meet them where they are and say okay well we agree on this and we can just move forward and fight together you know if fight as a unit together with that and, as, as opposed to arguing this out
0: no uh, it's a great question um occasionally uh, i i you will get some folks in there who Especially in the free trade trainings that I've given, that that are adamantly opposed to uh, our our belief that free trade does the most good for the most people. Right. Uh, What I found is it's it's important to talk to those people. the 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 way to do that, what I found most effective, uh, and a great story. I was in Alaska, training in Alaska. We were talking about storytelling. And I asked the question to the class. I said, "Why do we why do we tell stories? Why are stories important?" And this guy in the back of the room, uh, wearing a libertarian shirt uh, from a local libertarian organization, said, "It's because we buy with emotion and we justify with logic." And I sat back and I thought, "That's that's brilliant." Say that, that again. That is brilliant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he said, "It's because we buy with emotion and we justify with logic." Right. And I said, that's exactly right. That's brilliant. That's exactly yeah. Right. We buy with emotion. And so when you when you are in a situation where you're dealing with someone who may not agree with your positions, uh, very often folks who are generally considered center right, so conservatives and, and libertarians considered center right. They they we will tend to go with uh, facts and logic. Right. That's kind of our go-to. Well, you know, according to you know historical trade uh, uh, statistics, what we've right. seen then, oh,
1: the philosophy you know, of trade out. and everything. Yeah, yeah, right.
0: yeah. People tune out at that point, right? Um, if if you if you turn to someone and and something that I've done, um, I've had this is just in personal conversations. You've probably heard this too. People saying, "Well." This is this is a short term pain for a long term gain. This is this is just a bargaining chip. This yeah, is bargaining, a, chip, a bargaining right. chip. Right. And I I uh, I said tell that I forget I forget his name. We'll just say Joe Smith. I said tell that to Joe Smith who's working at a nail factory in in southeast Missouri. Joe Joe's been working at this nail factory and he's got a five year old daughter. His five year old daughter has a uh, congenitive heart defect. This is something she was born with. She was born with this heart defect. Joe gets his health care insurance through the factory that is now on death's door near extinction because of tariffs. Right. Why should Joe's five-year-old daughter be the one to suffer the pain so that there can be long-term gain from some steel executive somewhere right right exactly how is that fair how is that moral how is that just right so if you can if you can and and that that's that's a true story i'm not making that story up that was that was in the paper i read that and when i read that i thought tell me again about how this is unfair tell me again about how this trade is unfair how is it fair To put Joe in that position where he has to worry about the life of his five-year-old daughter because somebody somewhere think that steel factories maybe making things more inefficiently in America than they can somewhere else.
1: Right, right. And putting aside again, we always go. You know, libertarians. My, my, the guest from my last episode, Robin Kerner, uh, he does uh, messaging for the Libertarian Party, and something he says that libertarians are unique in that we systemize things. So we don't look at we don't we tend not to look at things from a um, uh, care versus harm perspective. We look at things from a uh, a systemic. Uh, freedom versus tyranny perspective, and so we we tend to anything we look at, we tend to systemize it as opposed to most people who look at it the way you just said it. you know what do you say to what about this example? you know what do we say to that person and so you can you can reach them with that we 're able to look at trade and see things for example, like there is no such thing as unfair trade if there was the you know every trade involves two things being traded so if i 'm trading with a Chinese company. I have traded my money for the thing that they're giving me. We've both decided that we want the other one's thing more than the other. But like you said, explaining that to someone who's looking at it from the emotional standpoint of, well, the steel companies are losing jobs because of you know cheap Chinese steel or, or whatever, it's 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 hard to do that. So um, you had given another example, and I'm trying. Go ahead. If I could jump in for one second. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Once, Go ahead. once, once you talk about once you. get – that Once you open that door with emotion, because again, we buy with emotion, we justify with logic. Right. I was having a conversation with uh, with my brother recently. We were talking about steel tariffs, and I was making the case that that um, protectionism, closed systems, uh, hurt people, and and openness right. is is a much more preferable system. And and the question he made the point: Well, I'm I'm concerned about I'm concerned about our national security what happens when we go to war with China and, and we don't have the steel we need to make our ships and our tanks? And I said, well, I said, my friend, 80% of market demand for steel in America is met by American steel manufacturing. 80% of market demand is met by American steel manufacturing. And there's no one, I think, who's more of an expert on what the military needs Right now, then let's say Secretary of Defense Mattis. Right. Do you believe he knows what the military needs? Yeah, absolutely. He does. He says American steel manufacturers produce 30 times more steel than the military needs. There's absolutely no reason for us to put tariffs in place right. for national security reasons. Right. And he looked at me he he said, I had no idea. I did not know that right and we we were able to walk away with that on on a, on more agreement right but to start with those statistics you're it not going to get yeah. anywhere but you can, because that's the point where you can justify with logic people right. buy with emotion then they can justify with logic you start with the story you start with the emotional
1: hook then you can come in with with facts and logic after that right because if, you, if, if you start if you start with the logic they say tell that to, such and such oh, who yeah, lost yeah. their steel job and, and you and you've lost them, so uh, putting aside the fact because I've heard that before, not just with steel, but just in general, like the incoming the, the pending the the, the uh, war that's going to happen any moment with China, because it's very common that the two largest mutual trading partners go to a war so that they can both end up destitute and lose millions of people on both sides that's that's definitely going to happen any minute now
0: yeah, and it's not it, let's let's assume that we'll go to war with China.
1: Right.
0: Um, But let's just say that's going to happen. Right. Because I've had people bring that up too. And I say, at what point do you think, what's going to happen? You look at who America trades with. Our biggest trade partners are, are Canada, Mexico. Right. We have Great Britain, France. We have all these, uh, you know, trade partners that aren't China. What's going to explain the scenario to me. Where we're at war and nobody in the entire world will sell us steel. Right. What what does that scenario even look like and how do we get there? <laughs> right. That no one will sell it to us. Right. It, it's it, it's it's not logical. Of course and so. it, it's a matter of, of getting people to, to the point where you to open their ears to that. But you can't you can't open someone's ears. Uh, but coming right out of the gate with facts and logic, that's just not how it works. We buy with emotion. We justify with
1: logic. Yeah, absolutely. couple of, of viewer comments I want to go to. Uh, Fotini Henderson said, she gets what you were saying. You know, her kids and her grandkids are her why. And so she gets what you're saying there. And then we have a shout out, uh, uh, Steubenville, Ohio shout out, home of Dean Martin and uh, Jimmy the Greek. Is that anywhere near you?
0: No, no, but I've been to Steubenville, Ohio quite a
1: few times. Okay. I, I,
0: I like that area. Okay, shout out to Steubenville. Actually... Being in Steubenville was how I got to West Virginia the first time because I took a wrong turn and said, what am I doing in West
1: Virginia? <laughs> <laughs> then I crossed that bridge again and get back to Steubenville. I actually have the opposite story. Uh, I've been in Ohio twice, both times accidentally uh, in Pennsylvania. I was supposed to be in Pennsylvania, headed to uh, Toronto and took the wrong turn and ended up in, I think, Youngstown. So good stories related to Ohio and, and, and so forth. So, Dwayne, you've traveled around the U.S. helping to grow a grassroots army network of activists who fight for a more, uh, I guess, fair, uh, more free and open society. We, what we do call you, it a society of mutual benefit. Society of mutual benefit. Um, what would you say are the greatest challenges that are facing those of us who are fighting for that um, and then, what would you also say that is, let's say, the single greatest thing that any one of us can do to fight for that, besides joining, uh, signing up for the Grassroots Leadership Academy, of course. It's a good start. Yeah, I would start there. But
0: <laughs> that's a great question. What is the biggest, biggest hurdle? Um, talking about that with some some friends today. Okay. Uh, I honestly think it's tribalism, mm-hmm. tribalism, and confirmation bias. We've seen in the past two years how many of us have seen people that we thought were were staunch small government free market liberty thinkers right become the total opposite of that and are now justifying things that you couldn't imagine them justifying before Yep. all because of of the tribe that they're a part of yep um tribalism is is such a dangerous thing that it, it will it will turn people into promoters of ideas that they used to condemn right and i think i think that is one of the most dangerous things we're facing today and it goes hand in hand with confirmation bias uh this this idea that i cannot trust uh that source because uh they're fake news right i i have, have people all the time I, I'm i'm telling people that is a logical fallacy Yep. The source is not important. The facts are important. Even the Inquirer gets stories right now and then. Yep. Uh, I am
1: willing we know that to make now, sense yeah, sense no,
0: yeah. For Alex Jones. Um,
1: he was right but... about the frogs. The The thing <laughs> that people mock him about the most, the man was right. Now, they weren't. They don't turn the frogs gay, but the it, they turn them, I guess, transgender. They cause the frogs, I'm not going to go down this wormhole because I could spend 20 minutes on it, but the there is something that they, quote unquote, because he said they put things in the water that make the fricking frogs gay. The structure of that sentence: they are putting things. It's a, a byproduct of an antidepressant or something like that so the, in the water. So that they are putting things in the water that uh, uh, have been shown to uh, ca- speed up or uh, accelerate or cause a process where frogs go from one biological sex to the other, and which makes them because they all go to that one sex. Uh, they're, they turn them into females. They're then unable to reproduce, and then they die. So gay, no, but they do turn the frickin' frogs transgender or transsexual, and we mock him mercilessly about that at our peril. R.I.P. the frogs. Uh... <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so that's, Thank you. Good night. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's <laughs> that. Thank you again for tuning in. So yeah, so uh, yeah, and especially in the era now of video okay, great, the video came from CNN or it came from Bloomberg or on the other side it came from Fox or from Red State or whatever. It's video or it's mm-hmm. audio. You can see or hear the person saying the thing that's being asserted. You can see the thing being done that's being asserted. Like you said, the confirmation bias or the reverse confirmation bias where it's like, well, it came from that, I can't believe it, and it mm-hmm. didn't come from my tribe. That, so that I, I agree with you. That's a major issue. So what And what would you say – I guess, again, short of signing up for the Grassroots Leadership Academy is, is like the single biggest thing someone can do to fight for that, that society of mutual benefit. You know, one thing that I am adamant that you need to
0: do is understand your principles. If you, if you can understand the principles that, that have built prosperous, free societies throughout history, if you can understand those, then you can, you can discuss intelligently, logically about almost any topic. Right. Uh, that was one thing that I learned in, in the leadership program of the Rockies. We had these uh, things called speak-outs that we would do where um, during, after lunch, the, the, one of the leaders of the uh, leadership program would pick people in the class. You would have to explain a position or answer a question. Right. And you would have to do it by identifying the principles. And I remember uh, the first day we did this in my class, uh, they warned us the week before it was going to start next, or the month before it was going to start next month. Uh, we just finished lunch. I really had to go to the bathroom. Really had to go to the bathroom. Right. Lunch is ending. I stand up, start to go to the bathroom. They say, oh, no, you don't. Dwayne, up. I turned around. They were starting to speak out and had the impression that I was trying to escape. <laughs> uh, not, really just had to go to the bathroom. Right. And, and they said, uh, you need to tell us, should the United States government fund the CDC? I'd never even considered, that. never even thought about that. Right. Uh, but the way they had to structure our, our answers to that was by first stating, what is this a question of?" So I had to say, this is a question of the role of government. Our principle, uh, th- th- then we had to, again, we had to think, what is the proper role of government? Right. This is a role, this is a question of the, the role of government. The proper role of government is to secure and defend our rights. And then again, I, I go to this guy a lot, but I went to Bastia. And I said, Bastia says that, that a, a legitimate just government can only take action that we have individuals can take. We can only use force to secure or defend our own rights. Therefore, government should only be able to use force to secure and defend our own rights. Therefore, government should not be able to take the property of one person to fund an organization that studies germs when the free market can do that. itself. So no, the government should not fund the CDC. And they said, you can have a seat. And I said, I'm going to the bathroom. That's what I need to do. <laughs> I'm going to have line. a seat in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you, you really need to understand your principles. Uh, right. I would think a very close second to understanding the principles of, of a, of a prosperous free society. Second to that is learn how to tell a story. It, you have got to learn how to tell a story. I can't emphasize that enough because we buy with emotion and we justify with logic. We we keep seeing people come at these come at these uh <clears throat> Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner debates with facts and logic and then you get what you said earlier. Tell that to the person who's sleeping in their car tonight.
1: Right, right, right.
0: You you've got to learn to tell a story.
1: Okay. Very good. Good stuff. So Thank you again for joining me. I'm going to give you a chance now to give me any final thoughts you have, anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover, uh, plug anything you want to plug for Grassroots Leadership Academy, any upcoming events, anything, any new certifications, anything you want to talk about. The floor is yours.
0: We've got we've got certifications coming up. I mean, we've got all over the country, 36 different states. Check check your uh. You can go to I think it's grassroots yep. there's an upcoming events uh, section there you can look at that but one thing i I, I want to emphasize um, one thing that I learned through my own just activism is you can you can make a difference we th- that is one of the the biggest cop-outs you will hear uh, well, I can't make a difference anyway they're all they're all crooks Political power comes from two sources: people and money. And we can you you can get people involved. You can do this, and the more you can drill down, the more local you can get, the more powerful you get. I remember writing for All American Blogger. wrote an in depth five part week long series on illegal immigration that had absolutely no impact on the debate at all. Right, none. I wrote an article about a state senator in Missouri, and that state senator called me that afternoon. Oh, wow. So you can make a difference because the fact of the matter is most people aren't even trying anymore. I remember sitting in a a state senator's office, and I was watching their legislative aide uh, uh, listen to the voicemails that they got. And I said, how many... How many voicemails or calls does a senator need to get on a specific issue for the senator to take notice of that issue? And he said five or six. Wow. Five or six calls out of a state of six million people, five or six calls, and that senator will start to pay attention to that issue you can make a difference don't don't think that you can't it, it is it is it is possible for you to do this it's just a matter of, of breaking through that internal barrier that that we can't make a difference and and taking action it's uh, the biggest the biggest barrier to grassroots success is is what i'm sitting on right here is is the couch that's the biggest barrier because apathy apathy is a dangerous thing it's people just like sitting but you can get people off the couch. You can motivate them. And a lot of the skills that we teach in, in, in GLA can help you do that.
1: Very good. So I have, uh, we again, we have the uh, the link there, but it's grassrootsleadershipacademy.org. We also have the link to um, GLA on Facebook, so they can definitely reach you there. Dwayne, thank you again for for joining us. If you can stick around for a minute, uh, I'm going to talk to you during the outro. But, uh, but thank you again for joining. It was great. I hope to be able to have you on a, a, again in the future.
0: Anytime. I love this
1: stuff. Cool. Cool. So guys, thank you again for joining us and my fellow Americans. Thank you for joining me and Dwayne. Be sure to check out grassroots leadership Academy. Uh, Also check out the libertarian dad bod calendar. If it is the the Christmas gift that you didn't know you wanted to give every member of your extended family, that link is in there. Um, And uh, so tune in. uh, I don't, no, if uh i believe you can tune in tomorrow night and uh matt has a guest on the writer's block i'm not 100 percent certain of that though so don't uh get mad if i'm incorrect uh join us uh next tuesday uh for the muddy waters of freedom uh matt should be feeling well by then and so we'll be doing an episode our normal episode unlike yesterday's episode where it was pretty much just a request request line and i played music videos uh, although that was very popular, so we may do that again. Uh, but uh, uh, so tune in to Muddy Waters of Freedom on Tuesday, and uh, we will be talking about the news that has happened over the last week. Next Wednesday, my fellow Americans, I will be having the Philosopher. Uh, she's very popular on uh, social media for her uh, libertarian memes. The Philosopher will be on uh, next Wednesday, and uh, but again, thank you for joining us. Check us out uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, and next week. And, uh, uh, oh, uh, happy beginning of your Hanukkah, if you celebrate that. Uh, But thank you for tuning in again. We will see you very soon. And God bless you.